Continue your steadfast love to those who know you, Lord, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. May your spirit shine in our hearts now through his word and give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me to the book of Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 777 between the books of Jonah and Nahum towards the end of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 2, and our study this morning will be from verses 6 through 13, the second half of the passage, but to remind us of the context, I'm going to begin our reading at verse 1. So Micah chapter 2, beginning our reading at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. And you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster." And that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes a portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. And then our text. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest, because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be a preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, as we've studied this book and this prophecy of Micah, we've Noted all the ways in which Israel has come to a truly deplorable state in the time of Micah, the time of Isaiah, um, the time of the kings that are mentioned in chapter 1. Israel's come to a very deplorable state. And as we've gone through Micah, we've learned something of how it's come to this. Um, They've been guilty of gross idolatry. Um, They've sinned against the first table of God's law. They've been guilty of oppressing their neighbors. 
um, evil against their neighbors, a violation of the, the second part of God's law, and God announced the terrible judgment for covenant breaking that was going to come on the people. They were going to go into exile. Um, and there's a repeat of that warning in our text again this morning uh, of God's people going to exile. And when we hear these things, when we look at these things, it, it could be a temptation to ask, how does it come to this? Um, how, how do these things happen to a people of God who, who know his word, who know his law, who have the true revelation of God before them? How does it come to this, that they, they fall so far away from what God wants and what God's done? Um, and Micah gives us something of a part of an answer. Um, part of the answer is that the, the land is filled with false prophets who claim to speak for God and who continue to tell everybody that everything's just fine. Um, everything's going to be okay. Uh, that's the message that they continually bring. Uh, you don't need to worry. Um, you don't need to, to listen to these people that are preaching about judgment. Everything's going to be just fine. Uh, we're God's people after all. He's not going to let us fall. We know what kind of God he is. He's a God who saves. We don't have to worry about that. There are plenty of people who weren't speaking the truth and were trying to stop the people who did, as we see in this passage, right? Do not preach. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason that they've fallen into this deplorable state, because the truth has not been heard. Um, what's been preached is exactly the message they wanted to hear, but not the message they needed to hear. And that's part of the reason that the things happen the way that they happen. And so I think it's important for us to look at this passage and to notice um, how these things go, how Micah describes them. Um, he first shares what is the danger of false prophets. Uh, the danger of false prophets really sets off this passage. Secondly, we see the damage of unchecked sin. Uh, when no one speaks out for righteousness and holiness, we see the damage that unchecked sin does. And finally, uh, gloriously, we see the deliverance of the true king. Um, and so that's how we want to think about this passage together. The danger of false prophets, the damage of unchecked sin, and the deliverance of the true king. Uh, the danger of false prophets really sets up the first section of our passage. Uh, verses 6 through 11 really, really serve as their own section, and they're kind of marked off by commentary on the false prophets. Both verses 6 and 11 talk about false prophets, and it sets off this passage. It serves as bookends to tell us that this is what this passage really is all about. It's about the false prophets and what comes from these false prophets. It says something about why they're so dangerous. Uh, what is the danger of false prophets as Micah runs through it for us? Uh, well, the first danger is that they silence the truth that helps. That's the first thing we see the false prophets doing. What is the first thing they come and do? Is they say to those who are preaching, don't preach. Right? Uh, th th this command is in the plural. Do not preach. Micah and other people are preaching the true word of God. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. There are true prophets of God speaking the true word of God. But what do these false prophets come and do? They try to silence the word that helps. They come and say, do not preach that. Don't preach the kinds of things that you're preaching. Nobody wants to hear it. Um, that's not the truth. Um, you're not really helping anything. But we've, we've noted what, what is the job of prophets. The job of prophets is to bring the word of God to say, the situation as it stands, God will not allow it to continue. He will not allow things to continue on like this. 
Um, There's a judgment coming for wickedness. And the only way to avoid that judgment is to repent of your sins. If you repent of your sins, God will relent over the disaster he's promised. If you return to him, he will return to you. That's the good news they bring. That's the truth that helps. But the false prophets come along and say, don't say that. Don't preach that. Nobody's got time for that. Who wants to hear about judgment? Maybe you thought of that as I read through this passage this morning. thought, oh boy, here we go again, prophets and judgment. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, not the, it's not the thing that people most want to hear, and that's what the false prophets are saying. This is not popular. It's not helpful. Nobody wants to hear this. Here you guys go again, doom and gloom. And the false prophets come and they say, well, you know, it's not all doom and gloom in Scripture. There's plenty of good things to say about God. Why don't, why don't you major in those things? Why are you so interested in all of this sin and judgment stuff? Why can't we just think about the good things? Uh, we preach a better message, the false prophets say. We preach that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What, what's the wonderful plan in verse 11? Unlimited beer and wine. Right? Nobody ever has a problem with that message. Right? If, if you preach at the church of the open bar, nobody has a problem with that. Everybody likes to hear that. And, and it, they're not saying, you know, just, you know, you know, that we should have kegs in church. That's not the, the point of verse 11. The point of verse 11 is to say, what, what are the false prophets always doing? They're always pointing just to the blessings. That was one of the blessings that God had promised in Amos 9.13, as an example, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. The abundance of wine and strong drink was a picture of blessing from the Lord. And so what these guys like to do is major in those passages, the passages that everybody likes to hear. But it's not the word that this people needs to hear at this time. That's the problem. That's the problem with the false prophets. This isn't the time where the mountains are going to drip sweet wine and the hills are going to flow with it. Um, Not for this people. Not for the people who are doing these things. That's why verse 11 says, you know, the, the kind of preacher this people wants is all the blessings and none of the rest of the truth. But if you do that, it's just empty words. It's just a bunch of lies. It's lying with half the truth. Um, and and what, what awaits these preachers? Um, well, the exact opposite of what they say here. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. It's an interesting play on words because it can be translated that way or it can be translated as Micah saying, they will not preach these things. So their disgrace will not depart. It could be flipped around on them. It's a a beautiful way of writing this, but I think that's really the thrust of it. They won't preach judgment. And so their disgrace will be, they'll be judged for not preaching God's truth. That's part of the danger of false prophets. They always silence the truth that helps, and they omit the truth that hurts. Nobody likes to be the person that has to bring the bad news. And that's what they do. They bring only the good news, only the good news of blessing and only the good parts of God's character. 
Uh, that, that seems to be the thrust of what's happening in verse 7, um, that, that a proverb is being spoken in, in Judah that is trying to be countered by Micah. He says, should, it be, should this be said, O house of Jacob? And this is what the house of Jacob is saying. Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? That's what all the people are going around saying. They, they've been convinced by these false prophets. The false prophets have come and they say, look, who is our God? Think about his character. What does he say about himself? Isn't he long-suffering and patient? And then Micah and these guys are coming talking about judgment. Has God gotten impatient all of a sudden? Has his character changed? And they say, are these, are these his deeds? Isn't God the God who's always kept and saved his people? Is he now going to just come and turn us loose to judgment? Is that the kind of God we serve? Do you see how subtle the half, half of the truth is? And that, that's how they counter the message of the true prophets. If they think about who God is, think about what God does. You're telling me he's all of a sudden impatient? You say, you're saying he's all of a sudden going to come in judgment? That's not the message we preach. God is love. God is a God who wants to bless. That's the truth. One commentator said, a badge of false teachers is preaching about God's love, but never about his wrath and judgment. This is the real danger of omitting the truth that hurts. It doesn't do anybody any good to do that. Um, a false view of God's character leads to a false view of his deeds. If God is only ever love, he never requires anything of you. He loves you no matter what you do. Um, and if God is never a God who only, if God only ever saves and keeps, then he's a God who never punishes. Um, and that kind of God really doesn't actually ask anything of anyone. And that's the kind of God we like as sinners. Down deep, that's what we really want. A God who will just leave us alone and let us do what we want to do. We like the darkness just fine, thank you very much. The darkness doesn't ask anything of me. That's the danger of these false prophets and their half-truths. That's why Mike and his friends say, no, you know, the whole truth needs to be preached. God is a God who is compassionate, who is patient, who is long-suffering with his people, but he's also a God who's holy and cannot abide sin. He is a God who saves and keeps the righteous, but he's a God who must come and punish the wicked. You know, the whole truth of God needs to be heard. Not just the God of our own imagination. I liked how one commentator put it. The current preference is to hear of the bland benevolence of a non-existent spineless deity. And I think that's true. Nobody wants to hear what Psalm 7 says. That God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. Um, it hurts to hear the truth that you're a sinner. It hurts to hear the truth that you can't save yourself. It hurts to hear the truth of what it costs to save you. The horrible judgment that our Lord faced by his cross. 
it's hard to hear that God is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And that if you're not saved in the name of Jesus, that you'll fall. Um, that's an easy truth to, to omit. Because it's a hard truth to share with people. But what Micah tells us, if you, know, if you omit that truth that hurts, you'll miss the truth that heals. The hard truth tells the whole story. It tells the whole story that there is a judgment coming, but there's also a way to avoid that judgment. Um, that's kind of the sad commentary that the Lord then gives at the end of verse 7. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? There's all these people that think they can do better than God's word by shaving off parts of it to make it more palatable. But in, in the end, what do you end up doing? You end up doing, you take away the words from people that would really help, that would really heal. The whole truth needs to be heard from the Lord. Because we need to hear about sin and that sin needs to be confronted so we will be driven to find the Savior who can save us from our sins. My, my dad used to talk about in college going around with a friend who loved to evangelize and his opening line was always, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he said he met a guy once and said, well then, what do I need? then I'm fine, is what you're telling me. So, well, no, you need to believe in Jesus. He said, why? You just told me God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Now, I'm not saying you should go around and say God hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. That's not any better. Uh, don't go full Calvinist, okay, um, out there, people. Um, we need to preach the whole counsel of God, which is that God is terribly angry with sinners and that he can't leave wickedness unpunished. But the good news is that he's punished it in his son. And all those who put their faith and trust in Christ will live on account of that sacrifice. That's what you miss if you miss the whole truth. You miss the truth that heals. You miss the truth alone that can drive you to the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name salvation has to be found because it can't be found anywhere else. Sin and judgment remind us that we need a Savior to save us from sin and judgment. It drives us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is what helps us. And Mike also shows us the damage that unchecked sin does. If no one ever speaks out against sin, if no one ever speaks out, what is the price of that? There's a price to be paid for faulty theology. That's what Micah seems to be teaching us in this passage. Because these false prophets have not created true piety in Israel by their falsehood. That there's a price to be paid. Um, Micah, I think, is making a clear connection between what we believe and how we live. Between our doctrine and our life. Or as one commentator put it, between our creeds um, and our conduct. What we believe affects how we live. And we see that in Israel. They served false gods, they preached false doctrines, and it resulted in failed lives. Where they lived exactly as the nations had lived. They did exactly what they felt like doing in their own eyes. 
and the offenses that they committed are terrible. And Mike, Mike shares them again as a cautionary tale. What happens when righteousness is not spoken of, when there's no concern about sin or judgment in the land? The powerful oppress the powerless. Um, and as he tells the story in verses 8 and 9, it just goes from bad to worse. Right? The powerful oppress powerless men. They strip off their rich robes, the blessings that God has given them. People who, you know, expect to be safe at home find themselves worse than if they were at war. You don't, you don't, be, you don't expect to be plundered by enemies when you're at home. But that's what happens. Um, and, it, and it just goes from bad to worse, right? The powerful oppress the powerless men. Then they oppress the powerless women, taking away their delightful homes that the Lord has given them. Blessings from his hand. And if it's bad enough not to oppress, is bad enough to oppress women, they go ahead and oppress children. Taking away their splendor. Um, Taking away what God says is my splendor. What I gave to them. That's the ruin that runs through the land. That's the damage of unchecked sin. So poignantly illustrated by God in verse 8. But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. My people have risen up as an enemy. That's the damage of unchecked sin. And the results of their crime, the consequences of their crime, are truly terrible. Um, The exile that awaits the people of God in verse 10. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest. Because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. Um, you know, in God's judgment, again, there's a perfect, there's a sense of his perfect justice in the fact that they rose up as enemies and now they'll rise up as exiles. You rose up as my enemy, now you can rise up and go into exile. But it's a, it's a tremendously sad thing that God says when he says, you know what, this is no place for rest. The promised land has become no place for rest. Um, That is such a sad commentary when we meditate on it. That the promised land has become no place to rest. It's become a place of wickedness. It's become a place of cruelty. It's not a place to rest. And what was God's promised land supposed to be? Remember we talked last time about it. It was supposed to be a picture of holiness, a picture of blessedness, a picture of what it looks like for a holy people to dwell with a holy God. It was supposed to be a picture of heaven. The place where God's homeless people in this world who are sojourners and strangers and aliens will finally come home and find a place To rest. A place where they're not be tormented anymore and not be oppressed anymore and not be oppressed by their sin or the the world or the devil. It'll just be a place where you can rest. Dwelling at peace with the Lord forever. That's what it was to be. It was to be a picture of that glory to come. And what does God do? He looks out over the land and he says, you know what, this is no place to rest. This is no place to rest. It's become unclean. It's become unclean. You know, just like a person in Israel just needed one spot of leprosy to be unclean. He says, you know, the uncleanness is just, it's polluted the whole land. 
and the disease is fatal. The damage is irreversible. It's beyond all remedy. That's the sense of that grievous destruction. That's what the world has become in the absence of the truth. Um, that's why it's so important that the whole counsel of God be preached. Um, as, as Paul calls it in Acts chapter 20, it's, the whole counsel of God needs to be preached. The whole message, you can't trim off the unpopular portions. Right? You, you can't sit there and say, now what, what do I think will be popular? What do I think will be palatable? Or even worse, like these false prophets who seem to be in league with the oppressors and maybe are selling their message for a paycheck. Right? The, the, job, the job of true preachers of the word, true people of God, is not just to take the word that's popular and palatable and certainly not to preach the word that the rich pay for, but to speak God's truth to the world. And that's so important because God's truth is not popular. You know, write this down if you don't believe me. God's truth is not popular. The whole truth is not popular. God, people like God loves you and doesn't expect anything of you. They like that message. God loves you no matter what and everybody goes to heaven. Nobody has a problem with that. Sin and judgment, people have a problem with. The righteousness that God requires, people have a problem with. Um, but what, and what's popular and palatable is not true. Um, and the truth is that what is true is not popular or palatable, but no amount of popularity can take something false and make it true. Right? We, we've talked about this before, but I always love it when I hear somebody say, well, you know, you need to be on the right side of history. You need to be on the right side of history. Um, and what they're essentially saying is what you used to say used to be popular. Now it's unpopular and you should get on board. And I always think to myself, you know, history is not coming to judge the living and the dead. The Lord is coming to judge the living and the dead. And the standard he's going to use is not what was popular. Because God is no respecter of persons. He's going to come and say, did you do what my father said? Did you believe in his son and have life in his name? Did you follow after him in grateful obedience? Um, it, it's, it's a lie that says, you know, this kind of false doctrine can just lead to anything but failed lives. We have to preach the whole truth. Not just the judgment, but the deliverance that's promised by God. Right? The, the, the alternative is not just the hellfire and brimstone, but to say there is a judgment coming, but there's also hope. And that's what God does for us in this passage, in this sort of sad scene of, of the damage that's been done in the land from the evil people and the false prophets who don't speak out against it. We have this wonderful turning in verse 12. Um, th this wonderful unexpected good news. That out of sort of the ashes of the damage that sin has done in the land and the exile that's coming, there's a promise of hope. Because after talking about what all the people do, God now talks about what he's going to do. And we read about the deliverance of the true king who's coming. 
They're going to be scattered into exile, but what is the ray of hope that shines in verse 12? Well, God says, I will surely assemble all of you. O Jacob, I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Just as there were false prophets abounding, but there were still true prophets. There was still a righteous remnant of the truth. So also there was still a righteous remnant of God's people. And God said, while the wicked are going to come into the judgment, I'm going to deliver my people through the judgment and from the judgment. I will gather the remnant again. There will be a righteous remnant of my people. And we can never forget in these messages of judgment that this doesn't apply to everyone wholesale. I like the commentator used the picture of a tree. And he said that that was kind of what Israel was to be in the land. It was to look like a, a glorious, flourishing tree. Um, and you could kind of look at the tree and see how many of those leaves look alive. And that would give you a good sense of how the tree was doing. Um, and if the tree started to look like it had, you know, some green leaves and some dead leaves on it, you might start to wonder if the tree is really that healthy. Um, and it gets to a point where God said, if I look at that tree and it starts to look like all the other trees in the world, I'm going to chop it down. And it doesn't mean that every leaf on that tree was dead. It just means that that's what characterized the tree. So God always reminds us, it doesn't mean that everybody wholesale in Israel was dead. But that there was enough wickedness that they looked just like the rest of the land. And so they had to be cut down. But there's always a righteous remnant preserved by God. There's always a righteous remnant of people who don't believe the lie, who continue to follow the truth, who continue to serve the Lord. Now, Paul reminds us of that truth in Romans 11, 2 through 6. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. There's always a remnant. And why? Because they're a better sort of people? Uh, they're smart enough to spot the lie in the false prophets? No. Why are they alive? Because of grace. Because we have a God who sustains his people by grace. They're chosen by him. They're kept by him. Um, and God will keep his people. That's why there's always a righteous remnant that will survive. That's why there will always be a church in this world. Not because of our ability to stand, but because of God's grace. And Micah then in, this, in these two verses gives beautifully a full picture of God's character. A full picture of God's deeds. Not the half-truth of the false prophets, but the whole truth of the living God. That God is a God who gathers his people from wherever they've been scattered. Who keeps his people and who saves his people. Um, Micah doesn't say there will be no judgment. 
Like it says, no, there's a judgment coming, but the promise is God will deliver you through it and from it. Because he'll be for his people what he's always been for his people. A faithful shepherd and a fearsome king. That's how this passage ends, with God as the faithful shepherd of his people, the God who's gathering them into a sheepfold. A noisy multitude. Just because it's a remnant doesn't mean there are few of them. It's a big group. And why are they noisy? Because there's still enemies surrounding them. A lot of people have said this is a picture of when Assyria came against Judah. All of Judah fled to Jerusalem and all took shelter under the walls of Jerusalem. But in every age, that's what God's people do, right? They flee for refuge to God and God gathers us in and he protects us. It's a picture of the enemies being all around, but of God's people being safely gathered by our faithful shepherd. We might be surrounded by enemies, but we're also surrounded by the care of our God. God is a faithful shepherd. He's the God who gathers and guards his people. Um, But notice that he doesn't just gather them and guard them. He also breaks them out. Uh, That's what we read in verse 13. We're reminded that God is not just a faithful shepherd. He's also a fearsome king. Because in the midst of this picture of a, a people surrounded, what kind of God do we have? A God who opens the breach and goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of God for a time defending and preserving his people, gathering them, watching around them, but there's a time coming when he's going to break them out. When he's going to open up the gate and break through the siege. And lead the people out to victory. It's a a picture of a a fearsome warrior who is invincible in his might. Who can just ride out of the gate and break down the siege that's all around. And then will lead his people out to victory. Um, And probably boys and girls it's not hard to know. Who is the faithful shepherd and the fearsome king who protects his people and breaks them out and leads them to victory? Well it's Jesus. He's the one who does that. He's the one who's been gathering and protecting God's people in every age. He's always been the good shepherd. And then the fullness of time he came into the world to to have suffer his blessed body to be broken on the cross so that he might break us out. So that he might break the grip of the enemy. And he's coming again in glory to lead the people out to victory. To conquer the enemies and to give us what? A place to rest. That's the ultimate hope of God's people. This world that has become a wasteland of wickedness. God promises there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. A place where righteousness dwells. A better country. A heavenly city. A place to rest. That's what God is coming to do for his people. That's the deliverance that's promised from the true king when he comes again. So in the midst of the danger and the difficulty, let's not forget that. God gives us this wonderful picture for an important reason, so that we don't lose heart. So that we're confident that he's got a plan for our good and for our glory to bring us to the rest we can't find for ourselves in this world. And the Lord has already broken through. 
And that promises that one day we will be victorious in him when he comes again in glory. So hold on for that day. We might look around and say there's no place for rest. But there's a place for rest coming with the king who is our faithful shepherd and a fearsome warrior for his people. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the whole truth of your word that it does convict us as terrible sinners who have violated your commands, who uh, are still wrapped in our sins and who if left to ourselves would not be able to stand for a moment. It's a hard truth to embrace about ourselves. But we thank you for making it clear in your word that we are sinners in need of a Savior and pointing us clearly to who that Savior is. We pray, Lord, that we would be privileged to continue to preach the whole gospel truth, that there is a judgment coming, but there is one who can save from judgment, who gathers and protects his people and leads them out in victory over the enemy. So, Lord, would all here put their trust and hope in him and not be found without him when the judgment comes. Lord, comfort us with that sure knowledge of the protection that's provided by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who offers himself to all who embrace him by faith. And hear us, we pray in his name. Amen.